team, you can go down. Oh, God. It's one thing to know somebody with your head. It's an altogether entirely different thing to know somebody with your heart. It's one thing to know that God exists. Even the demons, the Bible says, they know that he exists and, and they have a head knowledge of God. But it is completely different to have the presence of God come in with you and rest with you and sit in your heart during the troubled times of life. We serve a God that can give you peace that passes all understanding. And I have a prayer for you today. My prayer today, the Lord has put on my heart to pray that those that are in this building don't just know God with your head, but you begin to know him with your heart. That you don't just have an intellectual assent and you just need God to prove himself to you, but you allow God to tug at your heart and make your heart permeable and make your heart malleable and let a process of osmosis come where the spirit comes in and he floods into your heart and to your mind. And he gives you an experience, an encounter with God that you've never had before. How many of you are seeking something that's more than just church, but you want to feel the presence of God? You want to know that God exists. You want to know that he exists. You want to feel him. I don't know about you, but I'm glad. There's a song that says, you ask Pastor Ernie how I know he lives. He lives in my heart. Hallelujah. Give God a hand clap and welcome those who are online and those that are in the building. Thank you, Jesus. God is moving in this building. He's moving in this place. I'd like to thank all of you, my father's children. Some of us are out. Brother Dave's out preaching. Be praying for him to preach as well as for me to preach. We're all one church in many different places, and we want God's word to go forth. Thankful for all of you who it may be your first time. Uh, and I, I have some visitors. I talked to you on the phone, I believe, and you guys have made it. We're so glad to have you. We have some other guests. Can you give them a hand clap of praise? Let them know how much we love them. Not gonna put you on the spot. I have a, another young man that I've, I've had on my heart for a while, and I'm not gonna embarrass him so he'll come back. But uh, when I met him, he was just an outstanding young man. He, he didn't know Jesus, but he, he was an outstanding young man. He was what you call a go-getter. He had some great things about him, and I met him in a spot, and I immediately began to pray for him. And it's been a couple of years, and every now and then I'd drop a line, and, and I, I would pray for him. And, and, and sometimes the path to God is not fast, but don't you know yesterday, and I'm not going to put him on the spot. I'll tell later because he might not have revealed it yet. But yesterday we were out here, and he sat in a baptism pool and gave his life to God. And now today he's saved. I won't embarrass him, but if, if he wants to come forward next Sunday and, and, and give his professional faith, he can. If not, that's fine, but he gave his life. That's why we're here. We're here to reach the lost, teach the found, change the world. For those of you who found God, I'm glad you found him. For those of you who are searching for God, don't stop searching. The Bible says, seek and you shall what? 
find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. Ask and it will be forgiven. Uh, it will be given. For everybody that seeketh findeth, and everybody that asks is given. And everybody that knocks, the door shall be opened unto him. But here's the key. The, he told us that you will find me. He said you will seek for me and find me when you search for me with your what? Whole heart. See, the problem is many people in America today are trying to search for God with this. And God's not opposed to this. He created intellect. He's the God of intelligence. But there is a deeper level, and you got to find him here. And you won't find him halfway. you got to go all in. And when you're bold enough for that, we're praying for you. All over, those who listen to us on the line, we want to let you know that Jesus loves you. There is a word today. Uh, from the book of Romans. You can stand if you'd like for the reading of the word of our God. For those of you who it may be your first time, it's our custom to stand with the word, but you can sit, feel however you want. You are at home here. Uh, welcome home. Uh, we are in a sermon series starting uh, in the book of Romans. We've been in this series. Uh, this is the seventh sermon, so we'll be here a while. But our goal is not to rush through something to keep you entertained. Our goal is spiritual growth, that you grow from what you're hearing, and that the word will permeate your hearts and nudge some, some saints closer to God and nuns, nudge some sinners to be able to give God their all in their heart. Amen? Today we go to Romans chapter 3, 1 through 8. I can face tomorrow. Romans chapter 3, verse 1 through 8. Because he lives. All fear is gone. I feel the presence of God here. Let's read together. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is it the value of circumcision? Much in every way, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracle of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faith, unfaithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means let God be true. Though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say that God is unrighteous to inflict wrath upon us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For them, how could God judge the world? Then. But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? And as people, some people slanderously charge us with saying their condemnation is just. The word of God for the people of God and from this other related scriptures and aid of the Holy Spirit. I want to speak to you from this topic today. Faithful. God is faithful. You may be seated in the presence of God. Speak your servants, listen, and we'll give you all the praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. 
Amen. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, we've been listening to Paul. Paul, as he begins to talk to the Roman church and give them foundations of what it truly means to be a Christian. If you're searching for God on your walk or if you're you're new in your walk or even if you've been a long time in your walk but you haven't ever experienced a true deep theological fellowship to know why it is what you believe, uh, this is the perfect time that you are showing up and it is not by accidents but providence because Romans is the perfect book to tell us number one how we should believe and number two how we should behave. He starts out with telling us in chapter 1 through 11, what we believe. So if you want to know how you're going to be a Christian or what it means to be a Christian, Romans chapter 1 through 11 tells you those things. And then after Romans 1 through 11, he begins to tell you once you know how you need to believe, next he tells you how you should behave. Everybody say believe, believe. behavior. Behave. Say that one more time. Believe, believe. Behavior. behavior. One more time. Say it loud. Believe, believe. behavior. The problem many times is that when we brought people into the body of Christ, we've tried to change their behavior without teaching them into belief. That if you understand what it is that God has done for you, if you understand the necessity that you have for a savior in your life, if you understand the depravity of man and that it is only God's kindness and grace that by grace through faith you can be saved and come to the cross of Christ and come to Jesus, you approach it a completely different way. And for the past few weeks, we have been seeing all types of people. And Paul is letting us know that the gospel is there for everyone. God, the God gospel is there for that person who is wicked and morally depraved and completely turned over to sin and does not care about God or his purpose or his plan. The Bible is there for the God is there for that person. God is there for the for the morally person who has some sense of morality but does not truly know God how he needs to know God and God is there but he's also there for the religious person who's in church and religious but does not have a relationship with God. You know those types of people. They can quote the Bible backwards and forwards, but they, well, I'll just say it, they really don't live it. <laughs> they can quote the Bible back and forth and they can thump it and they will say rules for thee, but not for me. They want judgment and, and, and condemnation for everybody else, but they want grace for themselves when it should be that I extend grace and truth to all because Christ has extended grace and truth to me. And the purpose of Paul getting us to know those things is because you don't know that the good news of the gospel is good until you realize that the bad news is really bad that we were separated from God because of sin. He is our creator and he created us in his likeness and because he created us in his likeness we owe him everything. We owe him all that we have. Many of us would know and sometimes people have a trouble following God and doing what he says but if you're a parent especially a parent you shouldn't have problems with that. Why? Because when you feed and clothe the child and you help to bring a child into the world most times you expect not just some obedience but complete obedience you don't expect just some love you expect unconditional love that's what you are expecting so why would God expect any less 
Why would God expect any less of us? For we were created in our image. And if, if that's our desire, that's his desire. And this morning, Paul is holding a rhetorical conversation. He is holding a conversation with himself as he is writing or having somebody to pen this letter while he quotes it because he already knows his audience. It's important for a preacher to know his audience and to know to whom he's speaking. And he is already thinking of objections that people will have to what he says. Paul preached in a, in a time that was very similar to ours. He knew what kind of pushback he was going to get from Roman culture when he told them that you cannot be sexually immoral. He knew what kind of pushback he was going to get when he talked to religious Jews and said being in church is not enough. You have to have your heart because the heart of the matter is it's the heart that matters. He knew what kind of pushback he was going to get when he talked to the secular moral person and said your morality and no matter how many puppies you help and cats you get out of trees, you cannot be good enough to get yourself into heaven. Being a good person is not good enough. And now Paul is talking to a church which is filled with Jewish congregants and he's asking a rhetorical question this morning. He is asking in this conversation something that is going to answer an obvious objection while he's talking to Christian Jews. He knew this would arise in the culture and this is what he presents and these answers still hold cultural relevance for us today even though we are not Jewish. He says what is the point of being a Jew? I'll put that into a question for us. In other words, what is the point in the religious traditions that we have that were handed to us? Because remember last week he said you are a Jew and you celebrate being a Jew by circumcision, by an outward expression of your faith that is held in your flesh and you count that as closeness to God. But then he says, but that unbelieving person that walks in off of the street, the person who smokes comes in and smells like alcohol that smells like meth, that smells like all sorts of other things that come in with tracks on their arm when they give their heart to God. No matter how many rules you keep, if they truly give their life to God, they are just the same as you. And that bothers religious people. That gets on religious people's nerves because when we've been in the church for a while, we tried to create a social hierarchy within the church that God did not intend to be. And many times we can find ourselves looking down our nose at people because they have sins that are visible and ours are not. And so Paul is saying the person off of the street can come in and give their life to God. And just like you were seated with Christ in heavenly places, they are seated with Christ in heavenly places. That young man that gave his life to God tomorrow, when he gave his life to God yesterday, now he is seated with Christ in heavenly places. He is here on our terrestrial plane, but spiritually God has changed the order of his life and his soul and his spirit. And now he is not an enemy of God. God, but he is a friend of God. He is a son of God. And as a son, you are heir to all the rights and privileges that the father has to offer. And you don't have to wait. There is no vesting period. You don't have to be here 20 years or 30 years. But those that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And every gift that my father has is available to you right now. 
You don't have to wait 20 years for peace. You don't have to wait 30 years for peace. You don't have to wait till you know every jot and tittle of the Bible and have it memorized. If my father has given you eternal life, he says, now you are Abraham's seed and thereby you are heirs according to the promise. So everything that he promised to Abraham, you are Abraham's seed. And guess what? It's yours right now. Everybody say, it's mine. He is seated. He seated you with him in heavenly places. Well, what's mine, Pastor? Most people want to jump because they think I'm going to tell them they have a house and a car. But I'd be cheating you if I did that. You know why? Because after so many miles, that car goes out. And after so long, that house loses value. But what God really gives you is the things that money cannot buy. God, God gives you, sometimes it's not even the healing that you would seek. Sometimes you struggle alone with health crises, but God gives you the peace to be able to go through those crises and still have a positive attitude. That's a peace that passes all understanding. Sometimes people face personal tragedies in their life and God gives them the benefit of his peace. You are benefactors of the peace of God. You are benefactors of the love of God. You are benefactors of the grace of God. You are benefactors of the mercy of God. He has given it to you richly to all who believe. But Paul is talking to Christians who are saying, well, what's the point of being a Jew? I'll put it into our, our, our vernacular today. Well, what's the point of coming to church? If the sinner can come in and he can just be saved and we're on the same footing, why, why didn't come to church? Why don't I just come when I get ready? Why keep up all these traditions? I'm not, I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not religious. That's a nice way to say I'm not saved. That's what that is. I'm a spiritual person. I'm seeking spirituality, but I'm, I'm not the religious type. We try to, try, try to pull those things in, and what we're really saying is I don't know where I'm going, and I'm lost, and I'm searching for something, and I'm looking for something, and I don't know what it is and this is the thing if believing by faith is enough Pastor Willie then why the other stuff why do I have to give why do I have to come to church why do I have to be around other believers why do I have to do all this stuff why can't I just be spiritual why can't I just go to church when I feel like it why if salvation comes through grace by faith alone but there are some things that I need to do why do I need to do these things and some of these things he is teaching us are good not all traditions are bad Many times we feel like something is traditional. We throw the baby out with the bathwater. As we learn better, cultures change, but there are some traditions that never change. I still believe in the washing of feet. I still believe in the communion of the Lord's Supper. I still believe in the fellowship of the saints. Why? Because these are things that God has left for us that are outward symbols to show us and to keep us. He gives us visual symbols. That's why we break the bread when we get ready to do communion because he, he you can you pick Picture Jesus sitting at a, a, at a table that's laid out across the floor and they're all leaning back and he takes it and he wants to say, I want to give you a visual of what's about to happen to me. And he takes a loaf of bread and he snaps it and says, this is my body. He's using visuals to get you to see something. So it's not about just rituals, but when we have Christian tradition, there are teachings in those traditions that give us truth that God has infused in those traditions. So there are some things like circumcision that are about the cutting away of the old flesh, but there is baptism. There's symbols in baptism. Why do I need to get baptized? Do you have to be, does baptism bring you salvation? No. You're saved by grace through faith, uh, and it's 
it's the gift of God alone, lest any man should boast, then why am I baptized? Because what I'm doing is I'm giving myself a reminder that when I go under the water, this is a burial, that the old man or woman that I was is no longer in charge, and I am going to die to sin as if I am un unresponsive to it. It's not that my flesh does not want to sin. When a person comes in and they're in a casket here, there's life going all around them. They're just unresponsive to it. It does not mean that temptations are not in the world. It does not mean that you cannot see the things that you're attracted to that are bad for you, but you count yourself as dead to sin and you go down and you go all the way under the water. Everybody say all the way. Lamarck knows sometimes I, I had to be careful because I almost knocked Austin's brains out while I was baptizing him. But, but if he doesn't get him all the way under, I say push him under. And, and my cousin, I was messing with my cousin, but I did. I told him, hold her under a little longer because it took her a little while to get here. And, and, he, and he pushed down. I said, make sure she gets down there and, and, and bring her back up. Why? Because I want you to get the picture in your body and your mind that something new and different has taken place. And I'll never be the same saying. Those traditions can be good. Communion is about us fellowshipping and, and, and fellowshipping with a common purpose. We're all uh, taking the bread and the body of Jesus Christ when we do communion and what we are doing and symbolizing is that we are all here for a common purpose and a common goal. That's why I like this church because we are, we are bonded by what matters. This church would confuse most of America. You know why? Because you walk in and most times when you come in, I'm just, can I just be real with you? <laughs> if you're black, you walk into church and first thing you're looking for is what? Black folks, if you walk in and you're white, what's the first thing you're looking for? You're looking for white folks. Though if you walk in and you're young, what's the first thing you're doing? You're looking for some young folks. If you come in and you're old, you're looking for some old folks, people you can eat with after the service and bridge. We're looking for those things, aren't we? We're looking for that. But this is wonderful because when you come in here, you see some of everybody. <laughs> In this church, we're here from white collar to blue collar to no collar at all. <laughs> from master's degrees to PhD degrees to barely degrees to no degree at all. From rich to poor to wealthy to well off or well off to just trying to make it. Why? What is so powerful that it can bring all of these people together who are completely separated by their day to day walks of life because we have a common purpose and a common goal that we are all communal and we come together because we all believe that the Lord sent his son to die for our sins and we all love the Lord Jesus and that's all that matters. It doesn't matter if you're black or white or yellow or purple or brown or tall or short or big or skinny, that you have a lot of money or little money, that when we come to Christ, we are all his children and we are all brothers and sisters. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. When the power of God begins to come in, it begins to move out all the things of the world. It moves out political affiliations. It moves out social classes. It moves out racism. It moves out all of those things. Why? Because we don't allow those things to divide us because we let God connect us. Oh, Jesus. 
What's the point of being in church, they ask. What's the point of being a Jew if salvation comes through, through this? And, and, and he's trying to let us know that there is some value in church. There's some value in the traditions that we have been given. Even though they're not necessary for salvation, in the grand scheme, our message is in the motion. The Jews were a community, and church is a community. It's not designed for us just to come and leave and never connect with anybody. You might not have connect with everybody. Everybody, but you should be able to find somebody in the church that you can connect with because the church is about spiritual growth. Somebody that you can say, I need a prayer partner. Can you pray with me? Somebody to say, I'm going through some things. Can you help me? Even somebody to say, I need some help with some social skills and I, can, I don't know where to get them from. And there's resources there. Why? Because the church is a community and we're supposed to be there for some, everybody else. We need people that when somebody says, Pastor, I'm struggling. I'm just going to come out and say, I'm struggling with my sexuality and I'm a girl and I like girls, I'm a boy, and I like boys, somebody that won't kick them out the door, but somebody that said, let me walk with you, let me pray with you, let me go with you down this path. You don't have to go it alone. When somebody says, I'm struggling with pornography or addiction and all the nasty stuff that makes Christians cringe when it even comes out of my mouth, I can't believe he's saying it. You might as well because you're doing it. And at the same time, we need people that can walk with us. Walk with us through the weak parts of our life. Walk with us when we're in church, but we don't feel churchy. Walk with us when we, when we have to, when reality hits that we know that the word is pure and the word is right and that the law is holy. But, but, but sometimes I got some issues and sometimes I got some struggles. And sometimes if the church folks really knew what, what I, I had to struggle with personally in my life and the things I had to struggle with, they might not want to listen to me. And, but, but this is a place where you can come and, and you can say, no matter what you're struggling with, you're welcome in this place. <laughs> Because we all have a common goal that we're here to hang on to the Lord Jesus Christ and follow his leading and his directionship. We must realize that our relationship with God goes beyond just our personal benefit. Because when they ask, what's the point of going to church or what's the point of being a Jew? This is what they're asking. And that's the problem with churches across America. They're asking, what's in it for me? I come to your church, Pastor. You got any kids my kids' age? Because I only come if you got past kids that are my kids' age because then I, I show up because I want kids there because I get tired of my kids. I need a babysitter to watch them sometime. And I, I get tired of my teenagers. They get on my nerves. I don't want them sitting there. How's your youth director, Pastor? I'll come if you, I'm married and I want young people to hang out with. So do you have a married couples fellowship, Pastor? I, uh, I'll come to your church if you have some social people up because I like to network and I like people that are blue cl uh, high class like I am to network. What type of gospel do you preach? Do you preach a democratic gospel? Do you preach a Republican gospel? Do you preach a woke gospel? Neither. I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's all I preach. Come on in. What we are seeking for is not God, but we're seeking for a social club. We're seeking for what's in it for me. And they're asking, what is the point in me coming to church? And the point is never to see what Christ can do for you, but to see what you can do for Christ. 
The Jews, there were some benefits to being a Jew. They carried God's word. They were entrusted with it. They, uh, he's still, they're still his chosen people. And that word changes our life today. And as believers, believers we've been entrusted with sa- the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we must steward that to get it to all those who need it. But the Jews had this high privilege, which was also carried with a high responsibility to whom much is given, much is required. How do, how do you know that in the Bible it says for those that have knowledge of doing right and don't they will be beaten with many what stripes there is accountability which you know ignorance is bliss some people don't come to church because they believe if I don't know it I'm not accountable for it you still accountable for it but you just more accountable for it when you know hallelujah Paul asked this question what if somebody by the way lived and they believed and conducted themselves like they didn't believe in other words God was faithful to the Jews but he said what if somebody was faithless what if he 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 saved Israel and Israel's his chosen people but what if there's some people among them that are faithless what if some by the way they lived and believed and conducted themselves did not seemingly ratify the promise of God you know those people you say I go to church but the church is full of hypocrites they say they love God but I saw them at the liquor store over here uh, uh, that I'm gonna quit playing about that because somebody just got mad at me uh, they say they love God but I saw them here uh, I saw them there and I would ask the question well you have to be in the vicinity what were you doing there? <laughs> Why are you judging them? <laughs> what are you doing there? <laughs> be careful <laughs> to be too quick to point the finger at someone else. But they are saying, he's giving, asking the rhetorical question, what if some of them who the Jews weren't faithful, what if some of the Christians that are in the body of Christ aren't faithful Christians? What if I see people while I'm following Jesus that profess Jesus, but their life does not line up? Do you not know that children are different at every stage and age, and Christians are different at every stage and age? The only difference is natural biology makes us grow up in age whether we like it or not. Spiritual biology does not. You can be 70 years old and still be two years old in Jesus because growth comes from nourishment and the only way you get nourishment is to begin to read the word and the disciple and to be an active disciple that's why you have some Christians that act like they've been in church two days and they actually been here 30 years that doesn't happen in this church but that happens in churches at large doesn't it why because they are spiritual babes Paul talked to a whole congregation like that one time he said I would by this time you should be able to take me I should be able to talk to you about some deep theology but I'm still getting to you about not being backbiters and and not not gossiping you you still need milk you still need the elementary things of how salvation works this in this culture and we seek to have a culture to reach the lost and to change the found uh, and, and, uh, and teach the reach the lost teach the found and to change the world we seek to do that because this is not the place where Christians come to die this is not the place where Christians come to be the same this is the place where Christians come to become better Christians and grow and to become strong disciples to, dis- to disciple other people that's why the word may be a little bit stronger and here than it is in some other church because the calling on this church is to make disciples and to make blood-bought believers that are not just infantile Christians but are willing to grow up and to be able to help those who need it. And I can tell you that I live in Royal Oak and Royal Oak needs Jesus. Ferndale and Troy need Jesus. Madison Heights needs Jesus. Detroit needs Jesus. Oh my goodness, Detroit needs Jesus. Yes, they do. God is true 
whether the life of faith of the believer shows it or not. This is important for us to know as Christians. Why is this important for us to know? Because you cannot pace your walk with God based on whether or not I or Robin or Laith or somebody else in this room makes a mistake or whether we're walking with it because this is what my grandma used to say back in, in central Mississippi. I know it's not good grandma, but this is how she said every tub got to stand on his own bottom. You know what that means? Everybody got to see God for their self. My daddy used to sing this song a long time ago. I wish he'd have lived it a little bit better, but he, he was one of those people sometimes. And he said, you ain't got but one life to live. Take your time. If I fail to live and my soul be lost, nobody's fault but mine. I got a Bible I can read. I have a Bible I can read. If I fail to read and my soul is lost, nobody's fault but mine. I've got a prayer I can pray. I have a prayer I can pray. If I fail to pray and my soul be lost, nobody's fault but mine. Young people that are listening or in the room, as you're getting older, you have decisions to make. You can't get to heaven off of mama. You can't get to heaven off of daddy. You got to make a decision for yourself. Older people who have kids, you can't get to heaven off of your children. You you can't get heaven off the pastor. You've got to make a decision for yourself. You cannot determine your church attendance by what you're looking at fallen and sinful people do because we're all fallen and living in a fallen and sinful world. You can't use that as an excuse because that's not fair. Why? Because God is the standard. We are not. Paul doesn't just say, follow me. He says, follow me as I follow Christ, which means that if I stop somewhere along the line following Christ, then stop what? Following me. How do you know he said that? Because he said, if anybody, myself or even an angel from heaven, brings anything unto you other than the gospel we've already preached, let them be a curse. In other words, you follow me as long as I'm following God. When I stop following God, you stop following me. But don't you stop following God. Don't you leave the church. Don't you leave this church. But you say that's his walk and he got to do it. But I got to see God for myself. I got to see God for myself. Sometimes we use that as a crutch for us not to grow spiritually because we see people in the church not living it. And that's the rhetorical question. He's asking, what if some are faithful? What if there are people in the church and I see them every place? They don't got no business doing things. And now I'm not going to do it. I might well not do it because that's what they doing. That ain't got nothing to do with you, baby. If you lose your soul watching somebody else, that's your fault, not theirs. Whew. Somebody says tight, but it's right. Oh, so say it again. Say it again. I know somebody says tight, but it's right. Sometimes the word of God is hard to digest, but it helps us to grow. Many times we try to base our faith or our lack thereof on the shoulders of fallible people. We try to measure God's ability by what we see in the lives of other people. But people are free moral agents. They make their own choices, and at our best, we are but a dim reflection of God's glory. So for those that say Christians, I'm right, I wrote this down, and I want you to hear just how I wrote it. I don't want you to think I'm picking at you. For those that say Christians are hypocrites, Christians don't practice what they preach, Christians aren't faithful to God themselves. Remember, calling myself a Christian doesn't make me one any more than sitting in a garage makes me a car. If you look at the statistics, Christianity 
It's the largest religion in the world. There are 350 million plus people in the United States and over half of them identify as Christian and many of them are not Christian because they are not following Christ. You see, that has to come with being a Christian. They are not Christ followers. So I, I, I often don't tell people that I'm a Christian and why say I'm a Christ follower. Why? Because there are a lot of people that say, call themselves Christians, but they don't follow Christ. They believe things with their head, but they don't believe it in their heart and they don't live it. And you see it in the fruit that they bear. Not saying that my fruit is perfect, but when I stumble, I have a mind to get back up because I believe in the Bible. I believe in God. I believe in his word. I believe that he sent his son to die for me. I believe that I'm not worthy of his grace, but I believe he gave it to me anyway. And I believe because I received it by faith, I get to go to heaven when I die. And I believe if I tell you and you believe, you get to go there too. And I'm not going by myself. Is there anybody who wants to go to heaven with me? Is there anybody that wants to see Jesus? I've seen God be real. I've seen God heal people miraculously and do things that cannot be explained, that logic cannot be explained. I'm not telling you things that I thought of. I'm telling you things that I've seen. I've seen things as a young boy, a young man trying to start a family and, and, and being a missionary a little bit in Africa and seeing things that happened out in the bush that would absolutely blow your mind. I've seen God demonstrate his power. It's not something that I'm telling you that I think. I know for a fact that God is real. I know for a fact that God is powerful. I know for a fact that God is coming back and he loves you. Well, you can't really know that. How do you know what I know? <laughs> because there was a song when I grew up, Paterhan, you know what they said? You don't know like I know what he's done for me. You don't know like I know how he set me free. Just because you don't know doesn't mean that I know. But when you get like I am, you have to be just like the seasoned saints when I was young. They said you can't just know. You got to know that you 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 know that God is real. Hallelujah. Praise him, young man. Praise him. I like that. Hallelujah. If y'all don't shout, he gonna shout for me. Let him shout all he wants to. <laughs> no matter how many flaws you find in a fallible man, you cannot negate the power of an infallible God because God will keep his promises. You can use my life to discredit God. But you can't use the Bible of God to discredit God because all of eternity and nature around, we saw in the beginning of Romans, declares that there's a God. If I told you and walked in and told you all of you just popped up here by yourselves, you would say I was insane. Why? Because people don't just randomly pop up on church pews that are, that are built by themselves, do they? But we count people as sane and credible that say that we grew up from some ectoplasmic glop in random mess 600 billion years ago and somehow from nothing just two particles came together somehow created this big boom and I, now here we are that's not science that's faith now that's faith right there <laughs> professing themselves to be wise Romans 1 remember that they became fools 
Because people tell you logic and science, and I believe in logic and science, but here's the thing about logic and science. When you do science, science must be three things. Number one, it must be measurable. Everybody say measurable. If you're going to say, I want to see if this water will freeze in this temperature but not that one, I have to be able to measure it, right? That's scientific method. Then it must be observable. Everybody say observable. I must be able to observe the change. I must be able to observe that this has happened, and I must be able to record that it happened. And then everybody say repeatable. Repeatable. It must be repeatable. That's the scientific method. It must be measurable. It must be, uh, it must be observable. And it must be repeatable. Otherwise, it's just another religion or faith. Tell me who was here to measure the Big Bang. Tell me who was here to observe it. Tell me who was here to repeat it. It's not science. It's faith. It's a guess. And you're hoping that because you got a bunch of degrees that I, I think that just what you say is valid. Professing themselves to be wise, they became. And every day I'm reading different articles and they say, hey, we found this to be true scientifically, just like the Bible. So, uh oh. Well, he's a Bible thumper. No, I'm educated. I've got a bachelor's degree in computer science. I've got a master's in business. I've, I've got all sorts of investment licenses. I'm a certified retirement counselor. I've got more degrees than a the thermometer. I am not a dummy. <laughs> Unless you talk to my wife. No. <laughs> but I know this. All the education in the world without Jesus leaves you lacking. Why do we have to know this? Because we cannot let the flaws of a fallible man help us negate the thought and the power of an infallible God. God keeps his promises even when we're faithless. God is faithful. Even though some of us walked in this building and we don't even like God nor think about him or don't have him on our mind or, or, or we have him on our mind, but he's just at the top level of our mind, wherever the case may be. Don't you know he's still allowing your heart to keep beating? That's the faithfulness of God. He doesn't say you don't believe in me or you don't like me or you have believed in me or you believe in me, but you won't do right. So there you go. What if God treated us like we treated him? <laughs> Not going to give this week, huh? Let's see how you get up. Watch it. Watch what I do. Watch what I do. You see him breathing. Watch me stop him breathing. Now his eyes open. He can't breathe. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. You, the God doesn't do us like we do him. What if God did us like we do him? What if he gave us breath and life when he got ready? Come on up, little man. He can preach with me. This may be the next pastor. He's going to run from me now. He's like, no, I don't want to preach. <laughs> He'll preach with me. That's all right. What if God treated us like we treated him? Titus 3. Y'all leave him alone. I love that sound. When I came to the church, we were wanting babies in this church. Let as many of them come, let them play, let them do whatever, pass and don't care. Let them play the whole time I preach. Let them grow up in church on the pews. And one day he may be standing in this pulpit. We love, we love life. Give him a hand too. Give a hand for little kids. Titus. He knows it. He knows it. That's what I'm talking about. Titus, Titus 3, 1 through 8. Thank you, little man. I love him. Titus 3, 1 through 8. Everybody pull up 
Titus 3, 1 through 8 on the screen. We're going to read this, and then I want us to read it together, and I'm going to stop in certain places. But I want you to see this. There's something important for us to see. We're going to do one other scripture, and then we're going to go for the day. Y'all tired of me yet? All right, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep moving. Titus 3, 1 through 8, what does it say? Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we are what? Selves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and love and kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable uh, for people. In other words, what's the, what's the point of coming to church? That's why. That's the point of coming to church. It's not the Earn your salvation because you can't do that. But he says in verse 5, he saved us not because of works. Pull that up on the screen. But by his righteousness. He saved us and we didn't have to do anything but trust in him. But according to his own mercy, he did that. He saved you not by you giving God a try. This is what we erroneously say. We, give, we say, I think I'll give God a try. No, you better ask God to give you a chance. He doesn't need us. We need him. <laughs> he saved us not because of works done by us in the righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit so that being justified by grace, we became heirs. Now he tells you this is why you work. Verse 8, this is the trustworthy saying, and I want you to do this and, and insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good work. In other words, you don't work to get saved, but because you are saved, you do work. You say there's things to do around the church and I need to find out how I can help and I, uh, how I can volunteer, how I can make a difference, how I can give my gifts uh, and, and things like that. How I can go above and beyond whether there's a benefit in it for me or not. See, many people won't want to follow Christ unless there's something in it for them. But he saved me. That's all I needed to be in for me. The rest I'm going to give. Let's look at the last thing. Paul is attacking in verse 3 of Romans chapter 3. He said he's, uh, he's attacking a faulty type of logic. He's uh, they're combating some who are saying that promoting grace in this way is promoting willful sin because some people have begun to go about and say, well, since, since I'm a sinner anyway and God is righteous, it's like the tissue test. 
tissue test doesn't really work, by the way. Your teeth are not supposed to be that white. My dentist told me while I was getting my teeth whitened, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but you see the, the tissue test, and they hold it up, and it's a comparative analysis and say, oh, you should be getting your teeth clean. We look at that, and, and, and what they will say is that since I'm a dirty sinner and God's able to save me, well, then I should just go out there and have all the sin I can so his grace can be shown. But the worse I am, the better he looks. They, and he knew people were going to say that. That's why he says in Romans chapter 6, shall we continue therefore in sin that grace abound? No. God forbid. Everybody say grace, grace. is for just in case. Not just because. That's the best way I could put it. Grace is for just in case I need it, and we're going to need it. But it's not just because. Just because you get grace doesn't mean you go out and live any kind of way you want to and dishonor God. And when you love him, you won't want to do that. The first mistake they make in this, and I want to give this to you, and we're going to leave. It's not that then, and this is their logic, and I want to read it just how I wrote it. Paul is attacking a faulty chain of logic. They are combating some who are saying by promoting grace in this way, they are promoting willful sin. The thought is this. If our sin highlights God's righteousness, like the tissue test, is it not then unkind for judging us? Why should God judge us if our sin makes him look better? Since it brings light to his glorious light and his righteousness, this is still a question for many of us today. It manifests itself to us in this way. Through this question, how could a loving God send someone to hell? See, the Bible's still relevant. Have you ever heard somebody say that? If God's so loving, why would he send people to hell? <laughs> well, there are three mistakes with that, that statement. That statement reveals a lot about the heart of the person who says it. But the first mistake is that we make in this question an assumption of what love is. Ooh. <laughs> we make an assumption of what love is. Today we, are fine, we define love like this. We define love. You can let them play, let them go. I'm fine. We define love. They'll, they'll be okay. They, they go to football games and jump up and down, all sorts of stuff, uh, and, and eat in restaurants and talk. They'll be fine. Let them play. Today we define love. I love them. We define love as tolerance. This type of false love is non-confrontational. That's what we call love. We call love this. Let people do whatever they want to and don't tell them that they're wrong. We define love this way. The problem with the question of how can a loving God send somebody to hell is we think we get to define what love is, but God is not loving. God is love itself. John says, he that knoweth not God, knoweth not love, knoweth not God, for God is love. So since God is love, God determines what love is. He determines what the standard is. This is a false love, and it's non-confrontational, and we preach it in a lot of our churches today to get people in so they won't get mad and leave, but I'd rather give you the truth. It allows people to live their truth, even if their truth is a lie. So we falsely equate that God, who is love itself, can be unloving by allowing people to go to hell. That's the first thing. That's the first thing. He's already at the altar. Keep going. That's all right. When the spirit moves on you, you can go to the altar. This, this is the second thing that's wrong with that statement. Our loving God could want somebody to get to hell. It is. The second is an establishment of human goodness and an innate right to only good things. That would mean that no matter what our behavior or what their behavior, your child is worthy of reward. Stephen, if T burn your house down and she get drunk, is that worthy of reward? <laughs> Isn't it amazing how we have expectations of our kids, but we don't want to have God to have expectations 
of us. The second is an establishment of human goodness and an innate right to only good things. It's the arrogance of humans to think that only good things should happen to us. That would mean that no matter the behavior of your child displayed, they were worthy of reward. That would mean that no matter the crime and harm done, all criminals, think about this, that would matter. Oh, hallelujah, look at that. That, 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 would mean, <laughs> that would mean that no matter the crime, churches, God is moving today. That would mean that no matter what the crime, and I want you to hear this good. That will mean that no matter the crime or harm done, all criminals should just go free without punishment because of their goodness. We as adults set up rules and discipline for our children for the disobedience and discipline of lawbreakers to protect society. But does that make us unloving? Does it make us unloving to tell kids that they have to clean their rooms or to tell people that they took life from other people that they have to pay penalties? Does that make us unloving? So why would it make God? Because he has standards. The third of something thing and the third of something misappropriation is that God's wrath is a one-sided transaction. Because we say, why would God send somebody to hell as if God's the only person of all involved in the equation? But when we are wronged, don't we demand justice? When you are cut off in traffic, don't you want justice? And some of you want to take it into your own hands. Some of us have. <laughs> I said some of us have. Here, I, we got one honest person, but we are shocked when God demands justice. We want it for ourselves. If somebody steals from us, we got ring cameras because we want to get them. If somebody takes a life from somebody we love, we demand that the court give us justice. But somehow God is in loving for wanting what we want ourselves. Who Jesus. Hallelujah. Say ouch. It's amazing how many people seek divorce because a spouse is not meeting their standard, but they can't afford that right to God. I just let that sink in for a second. In a culture that's riddled with divorce that says, if you don't do like what I want like I want you to do it, and you don't meet my needs like I want you to meet it, I'm leaving you. We want to divorce our spouses, but we get mad at the thought that God could ever divorce us. We have standards but we want him to have none. Hallelujah. He should be allowed to do that. Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. We should not take the grace of God for granted. Some discount sin because we see God is obligated to forgive. We promote the lessons learned from sin and discount the pain it's caused. We don't think a God who is loving will judge us, but we rationalize it to give us cultural relevance. Rules for thee, but not for me. I have standards for my spouse, my coworker, and everybody else, and all the people in my society, in my local, local community, in my local ecosystem. If I don't get justice, I demand it. Does that mean I'm not loving? 
conclusion. I never say conclusion. I never tell you that's written in my, in my deal today. But God is moving differently today. And I want to get this. I want you to get this. This says this. I'm going to give it to you just how I wrote it because I want you to get it. And Turhan, you can queue up for a second. God is righteous. And God is love. If we are saved, it's because of his mercy. There's been a high price paid for the redemption of man. If you are not saved today, don't hold on to a debt that has already been paid for. Repent and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, every one of you, for the remission of your sins. I want to go back to to Titus 3. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to read this together and we're done. Acts 3, 19 through 21. Let's read that together. What does it say? Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Jesus. That's my prayer for everyone today. For those that are listening online, that are here, repent doesn't mean that you're always deep in sin. I've taught you this, and for those of you who've been here long enough, the word repent in Greek is two words compounded, metanoia, change of mind. Repenting simply means to change your mind. Change your heart. You've been thinking one way, think another one. You've been thinking according and being been guided by your flesh. It's time to allow God to let you follow the Spirit. There is no condemnation now there for them that walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. As this altar is open, the Spirit has been really heavy in here today, and there are already people at the altar. But just in case somebody's waiting for the actual invitation today, And I always know in this place, we don't have to wait for an invitation. When God hits your heart, if I'm preaching, whatever it is, you come up here and you get what you need. This is not a religious church. We're not here for shape or form or fashion to look a certain way or to sound a certain way or to feel a certain protocol. When God speaks, you move. Because I am not him. We can keep order and still, still, still let God flow. But those who need God, the altar is open today. You can come to this altar, Pastor Ernie. Robin can't get up. Uh, prayer team, when you're, when you're available, if you need to pray, you can. But this altar is available for those who want to pray.